Haven't I commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. For Yahweh your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.9 Father, today, I welcome whatever comes my way, because I know that in your love for me, you have already prepared for me. You have been at work in every part of my heart and my life. My downtime has been my prep time. You've been teaching me and testing me, developing me, and strengthening me. You knew in advance the wisdom and skill that I would need, and you have provided it to me. Today I walk in obedience to everything you have commanded me. If you have commanded it, I stand on it. I carry it out. I see it through, because you are my God, and every one of your promises is true. You have gone before me, and even now, you are with me every single step of the way. I know you are leading me on this journey. I don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. No matter how big the challenge, how great the obstacle, or how tall the giants that are standing in my way, I will overcome them all. Because of you, I have victory. Today I stake my claim to the fulfillment of every dream you have given me, every aspiration or goal that you have called me to achieve. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Stay tuned to immerse yourself in the greatest stories ever told from Pray.com's podcast, Heroes in the Bible. Hello, my name is Matthew Potter, co-founder of Pray.com. And before we start today's episode of Heroes in the Bible, I wanted to ask, do you know what your bank does with your money? At America's Christian Credit Union, your everyday banking helps grow churches, expand the reach of missions agencies, and supports fellow believers across the country. Learn more about specials for switching to ACCU and their nationwide banking capabilities at americaschristiancu.com forward slash pray. Plus, the peace of mind knowing that this credit union is federally insured by the National Credit Union Administration. Hi. I'm Dr. Tony Evans, and I'm excited for you to join me on Heroes in the Bible. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify so you get the newest episodes right as they come out. Welcome to the epic adventure of David, a story of honor, battle, jealousy, darkness, friendship, love, scandal, and murder. While most people know of David the myth, few know about David the man. In this episode, David is given another chance to seize the throne and end his misery. Opportunities to end his suffering constantly present themselves, yet David has always refused to take them. Our hero can be frustratingly noble, sometimes defying basic logic to stick to his principles. How many times will he keep saying no to his convictions? When will he finally decide enough is enough? Everyone has their limit, and this could be David's. Saul is going to mount another attack, and David will once again stand over his sleeping body, poised to strike. This episode features a more callous David. The constant disrespect from Saul is starting to get to him, 
and you get the sense that his patience is wearing thin. Look for signs of volatility from David and question whether he can last much longer in the wilderness. The events of this episode lead him to a much darker period of his life, and we cannot help but feel sorry for the giant slayer at the end. So far, his noble acts have gotten him nowhere. It's time for him to indulge a little and take command. Before we find out the answer, we will begin with a prelude. This prelude features Jonah, an angry and bitter prophet. Many cute Bible stories have been told about him, but he is no hero. He has a calloused heart and would rather have judgment than mercy. God reveals his heart in an interesting way to Jonah. We would be wise to take his message to heart. Let's get into it. Here's chapter 14, The King's Spear. Prelude to Chapter 14 Jonah anxiously awaited the demise of the city. He sat in great anticipation, waiting for fire to fall from the heavens or a burst of lightning and rain to descend from the skies. Yet there was silence. No divine judgment was cast down on the city of Nineveh. The wicked people did not receive the wrath that Jonah had hoped, and he hated God for it. Jonah picked up a stone and threw it towards the city. He yelled and cried out to God, waving his fist high in the air. They deserve to die, he yelled. They are bad people. I fled from you because I knew you would show them mercy and spare them if I came here, and you did. Is it right for you to have this anger, Jonah? God asked with a gentle tone. Jonah was angry. He paced back and forth, raging against God. He placed himself underneath the shade of a tree. Its long branches provided a pleasant shade from the harsh sun. Jonah settled in underneath it and crossed his arms. His blood was boiling with anger. He breathed in deeply and closed his eyes. The tree enveloped him in shade, shielding him from the scorching sun above. In that moment, he loved that tree more than anything else on earth. He let his mind wander, dreaming over simpler times. As Jonah rested in its arms, he fell into a deep, and peaceful sleep. That night, the Lord sent a worm to gnaw at the tree's roots, taking away its life. It infected the tree and caused its leaves to wither and fall. The tree shriveled in its place and the lush and vibrant sanctuary for Jonah was reduced to rotting bark and fruit. Jonah awoke to see his beloved tree dead. Even more anger fell upon him. Hot air blew in from the east, and his skin began to crack and blister. Jonah threw himself onto the floor and banged at the ground. Why, God? First you spare my enemies, now you take away my only comfort? Why do you torture me so? Jonah wept and whispered. It would be better for me to just die. Are you justified in your anger about the plant? God asked Jonah. You pity this plant for which you did not plant. You did not help it grow. You did not water it or care for it. Yet you loved it and wanted it to live. Should I not care more for Nineveh? It is not a plant, but a city with more than 120,000 people who do not know what is right or wrong. 
shouldn't I care more for them than your precious tree? In God's questions to Jonah, an important and ancient truth was revealed. God is a God of second chances. He desires for life, repentance, and true transformation. While Jonah desired quick and swift justice for his enemies, the true hero of God desires for restoration. He will patiently wait for those who are far to come back to the Lord, no matter how painful the journey may be. Chapter 14 The King's Spear The royal city of Gibeah rested under the blackened skies. The twinkling stars were covered by dark clouds. The light was hidden from King Saul. Even as he sat by the fire, there was no warmth for his cold and darkened soul. He stared at the flames flickering before his eyes, reeling over his last encounter with David. The young shepherd he had sought for so many months had the upper hand, yet chose to show him mercy. He did not love him for it. Rather, Saul hated David even more for his compassion. David held the heart of a true king, and with every act of mercy, Saul despised him all the more. Saul's paranoid and anxious thoughts were interrupted by a knock on his chamber doors. Come in, the king said, gripping the shaft of his spear. The door opened. A man from Ziph was brought in by one of his guards. The king gestured to the seat across from him. Sit, he said shortly. Tell me what you have discovered. I was promised payment, the man said with a sly grin. If you want what I know, I expect the payment that was promised. The king rolled his neck back and gritted his teeth. He stood to his feet and grabbed a dagger from the table. Without warning, the king slammed the dagger downward onto the Ziphite's hand. The board cried out in agony, screaming for the king to release his hand. Please! Please stop! The king drove the knife down even deeper, leaning over and snarling in the boy's face. Tell me what you know. Your payment shall be my mercy. Saul growled. Tell me where David is hiding. The Ziphite man winced in pain and screamed. He is hiding on the hill of Achila. The boy could barely breathe. Yet Saul leaned down even more on the blade. It is east of Jeshimon. You will find him there in the wilderness. He, his men, and their families are hiding out and fortified. You will need at least a thousand men to fight them. Saul released the blade from the man's hand. The boy keeled over, holding his hand and crying. Leave me. I will have my guard give you your payment. Saul said quietly and without remorse. His calloused heart had already fallen too low to repent. Saul had surrendered himself to cruelty. To him, there was no amount of violence he would not commit in pursuit of David. He wiped off his blade and called in his captain Abner. The captain stood at attention, pretending not to hear the cries of pain exiting the halls. Abner, ready three thousand chosen men, King Saul commanded. I will take no more chances in pursuit of David. We will wipe him and his band of rebels out. Abner nodded and left immediately to assemble the army. Saul walked outside onto his balcony and looked out. The rain clouds were blowing in from the east, and the cold wind bit at his face. Yet the king could feel nothing but the burning hatred deep within his belly. The vast armies of Saul encamped beside the hill of Hachila, east of the road leading to Jeshimon. The sun was beginning to make its descent, 
and the king was anxiously preparing his men for battle on the other side of the mountain. He knew that David was trapped there on the other side, and it was only a matter of time before he had his head sitting on the tip of his spear. The king methodically sharpened his spear, imagining what it would finally be like to pin the giant slayer to the ground. He gave a debased and evil smile as he checked the sharpness of the spear. Then he rested it on the ground beside his bed. Soon enough, he would have David. Soon enough, his weary mind could finally rest, and the whole world would know that he was the true king of Israel. Hiding in the shadows of the stones at the base of the mountain was Abishai and Ahimelech, two of David's most trusted companions. They peered over the stones, counting the number of men Saul had brought up against them. Over three thousand, Abishai whispered. They outnumber us five to one, Ahimelech said. The only hope we have is striking them before they have a chance to march. Abishai shook his head. Even their night watch is larger in number than our men. We would need a miracle for them to be caught off guard. Ahimelech shrugged and gestured up the mountain. We serve God's anointed, he said with a <laughs> chuckle. If anyone will see be saved by a miracle, is it not David? Abishai could not argue with him. The favor of God seemed to follow David wherever he went. He and the others followed their commander with a type of chaotic optimism. No matter what kind of trouble they found themselves in, grace and mercy seemed to follow them. God was continually before them, protecting them and saving them. The two men escaped back into the mountains, where David was with the rest of the men. They had built an encampment, fortified with wooden spears cut down from tree branches. Their families resided in the caves only a few hundred yards away. Abishai and Ahimelech made it to David. He was training with a few of the men on the flat area at the base of the other side of the mountain. David faced four men. They advanced with their swords, seeking to disarm him. But David was too quick with his blade. He parried their advances and was able to disarm two and knock the other two down with swift kicks to the knees and stomach. David was not easy on his men. He trained them constantly, ensuring that when the time came for them to defend themselves, they were ready. He trained them in combat, military tactics, and group formations. He engendered a great deal of loyalty in his men. They followed him anywhere without question, because they knew he was a leader that would lay down his life for them. Abishai and Ahimelech interrupted David's training with the news of Saul's arrival. David, the king is on the other side of this mountain with over 3,000 men, Ahimelech said. By the looks of it, they plan to march at tomorrow's first light. David strapped his sword onto his back and tightened his armor. He looked back at Benaiah, who was training with him. Benaiah, get the men ready for battle. Make sure they are poised to defend themselves. I will be back at first light tomorrow. Benaiah nodded and began assembling the men. David moved past Abishai and Ahimelech and began hiking up the base of the mountain. The two of them followed. David, where are you going? Abishai asked. David looked back and gestured to the top of the mountain. Saul looked me in the eye and told me he would no longer pursue me. Clearly he has broken his word. I will go and remind him of his disgrace. Do either of you wish to go with me? Abishai held the hilt of his sword tightly and nodded at David. I will go with you, David. Very well, David said. Follow me. So the two of them scaled the mountain. The sun's rays were beginning to retreat behind the western hills, and the light of day was replaced by the flickering torchlight of Saul's camp. 
David and Abishai climbed down the mountain and hid themselves out of view. Together, they watched the patterns of the night watch. Hundreds of men posted up around the perimeter of camp. They were upright and at attention, without any sign of wavering. Abishai looked over at David. He was sitting completely still, scanning every inch of the camp before it fell under the shroud of night. David remained there silently, occasionally mumbling to himself and stroking his beard. What are you doing? Abishai asked. Praying, David said. The Lord will go before us and present an opportunity to enter the camp. We need only to wait. So wait they did. Abishai and David held their position overlooking the enemy camp. The cloud-covered sky slowly began to break, and the gray haze over the expanse of the heavens cleared. Bright and lustrous stars covered the firmament, and the brisk midnight air settled in their lungs. David closed his eyes and breathed in deeply. He exhaled a praise to his God, then gestured forward to the camp. Abishai marveled at what he saw before him. The entire night watch had retreated to their tents. God had gone into camp and shut the eyes of Saul's men. David smirked and stood to his feet. He fastened his weapon securely onto his back and began to run towards the tent. The two men stealthily made their way to the center of camp where Saul's tent was. David and Abishai crouched at the entrance of Saul's tent and looked around. Not a soul was watching them. Abner, the captain of Saul's guard and commander of his army, was fast asleep only ten feet away. David held his finger to his lips, ensuring Abishai did not make a sound. He then lifted the tent entrance to reveal Saul, sleeping soundly beside his spear. David closed the entrance and began to stealthily leave. This confused Abishai. What are you doing? Abishai whispered. God has given your enemy's head on a silver platter. Why not take this opportunity and kill him with his own spear? David shook his head. I will not touch him. He is the Lord's anointed. I shall not kill the king of Israel. Then by God, let me do it. Abishai whispered intensely. Let me pin his head to the ground for you. I will even strike him twice to make sure it's done. You will do no such thing, Abishai. No one can kill the Lord's king and be guiltless. I will not have you do it. Abishai was noticeably frustrated and began to lose control. David put his hand on his shoulder and smiled. His day will come. The Lord is the one who decides who sits on the throne, not I. If I take the throne by force... What does that say about the Lord's favor in my life? It says only that I know how to kill, not how to lead. Abishai shook his head and sighed. He agreed with David, of course. However, it was hard for him to concede this opportunity. David, of all people, understood his frustration. He was tired from running. He was weary from the constant fear of being captured or attacked. He wished he could convince Saul somehow that he was not a threat to him. He felt like he had already proven it before, but it did not seem to be enough. David's eyes widened, and he opened the tent back up to see Saul sleeping beside his spear. He had an idea. David entered in and crouched next to Saul. He took Saul's spear along with a jar of water resting beside his blankets. David crouched out of the tent with the spear and the jar of water. No man saw him or woke from their sleep. He and Abishai retreated back with the king's spear and water. They stood far off at the top of a hill. There was a great deal of space in between them and the camp. There, 
David waited for the sun to rise. David, why aren't we going back to camp? The men will be up soon. We do not want 3,000 men to attack us. David shook his head. No more running. He said adamantly. This morning, I will humiliate Saul in front of his men. All of them will see that I am not a threat to him. If he continues to pursue me, he will look like a fool in front of his men. Abishai was visibly nervous. It was a strange plan, yet these things seemed to usually work out for the giant slayer. Abishai had no reason to question him now. The sun peeked over the mountain, and a bright orange hue covered the tents below. The men began to stir awake, and David stood tall for all to see him. He called out with a loud and booming voice. Abner! Abner! Are you truly worthy to be called the right hand of the king? Abner burst out of his tent. King Saul emerged from his tent as well. Both of them looked up to see David standing proudly on the hill for all of them to see. Saul seethed with anger at the very sight of him, but before he could say anything, David continued. Abner, how dare you call yourself a warrior of Israel when you could not even keep watch over your king? King Saul is precious and worth protecting, yet you and your men have slept on the job. You dishonor yourselves and your position. Come down and fight me, you coward! Abner said. Oh, but Abner, I already was down. Last night, when you were fast asleep. David taunted. Lies! They are not lies! David shouted. He then gestured to the king and said, My king, Saul, go ahead and see where your spear is. You'll find it is not beside your bed, but rather next to me in your jar of water. Saul looked behind him and in his tent. No spear and no jar of water. It was standing upright in a jar of water beside David. The king was flustered and embarrassed. Once again, David had the perfect opportunity to slay him, yet he showed him mercy. Again and again, David showed him mercy. Saul wrestled with feelings of relief gratitude and hatred all at once. He looked up to David and shouted, Is that really you, my son David? It is, my king. David paused. Abishai could sense the hurt in David's voice. He wanted to be strong, but there was clearly sorrow in his heart that he was trying to hold back. David outstretched his arms and yelled, Why does the king pursue his servant? What have I done to you to warrant such hatred? Hear me, O king, as I plead with you one last time. In the presence of your loyal soldiers, let it be known that this is twice now that I have had the opportunity to slay you, and twice now I have shown you mercy. Even though you seek to take my life, I have not raised a hand against you. If it is the Lord who has inspired this hunt after me, may he aid you in your quest. Yet if it is man who has whispered lies in your ears, let them be cursed before the Lord. For you seek my blood to spill forth on this earth when I am clearly innocent. Silence overcame the whole camp. Saul's men were still as they awaited a response from their king. All this time, 
They had been told to believe that David was planning a rebellion against Israel. Yet now King Saul was exposed as a petty man, seeking to take David's life out of jealousy. With arms stretched out, Saul spoke with a trembling voice, saying, I... I have sinned against you, David. I was wrong. The entire camp stirred as they heard the words come out of Saul's mouth. Tears fell down Saul's cheeks as he lamented before David, saying, I have acted foolishly, my son. Return, or I shall not pursue you any further. David shook his head and sighed. As much as he desired to trust the king, he did not. David took the king's spear in his hands and lodged it into the ground. May God be judged between you and I, Saul. Come and take your spear. I pray it serves you well. With those words, David retreated back into the wilderness with his men. Abishai was surprised at David's unrelenting mercy toward Saul, and he feared it would be his undoing. David knew that Saul would not pursue him that day. If he did, his men would surely question his judgment. However, he did not trust Saul to keep a level head for long. He must plan for the time when the king strikes again. David gathered his men and they packed their things. David was about to make a decision that would alter the course of his heart. He was about to enter into the land of the Philistines. God is a God of second chances. This basic and long-standing truth applies to the city of Nineveh and it applies to King Saul. We have been conditioned throughout superhero movies to think that the hero always has a right to destroy the villain. It makes for a quick movie, but it is a poor representation of how our world works. The Bible teaches us that the real villains are Satan and the evil dwelling within the heart of humanity. These villains lurk at the edge of our doorsteps looking for an opportunity to strike. If David kills Saul, it would be out of revenge and nothing else. As evil as Saul has become, he is not the real enemy. The real enemy is sin and the slow deterioration of character. David doesn't want to be defeated by bitterness, compromise, and sin. It can be frustrating for us to see Saul get another chance, just like it was frustrating for Jonah to see Nineveh get another chance. But if Jonah was after the heart of God like David, he would have seen what God sees. God sees the potential for good in every human being and the beauty that can be birthed from mercy. Where would you be if nobody ever gave you more chances? Aren't you grateful for receiving mercy when you know you didn't deserve it? David will certainly need mercy, and a lot of it, in the coming episodes. After the prelude, we are brought into a familiar space, the royal city of Gibeah, in Saul's palace. A familiar scene is set before us, with King Saul brooding near a fire and plotting David's demise. The shepherd's previous acts of compassion have only made Saul hate him more, since righteousness always angers unrighteousness. In this opening scene, Saul is gripping his spear tightly. The story reminds us of the spear several times in this episode. His weapon is mentioned more than a dozen times because it is a key metaphor. The spear represents the throne of Israel and the mantle of king. Saul anxiously holds on to it and waves it around haphazardly. He fantasizes about using it to destroy David, 
But in the end, David ends up with it in his possession. David gets the spear easily, as if it was handed to him. At the end of the episode, David gives it back to Saul and leaves. This is a grand metaphor of David and Saul's relationship to the throne. Saul anxiously keeps it with him at all times, but David is able to take it in an instant, but refuses to keep it as long as it belongs to Saul. The kingdom is David's for the taking. It was prophesied by Samuel in episode 3. The Lord has sought out another to replace you. He has sought out a man who is after his own heart. He has sought out a man who cares more about pleasing the heart of God than looking for the approval of man. This king shall be prince over the Lord's people. He shall steward God's people well, and it will be his kingdom that continues into eternity. In episode 4, Samuel mentions it again, saying, This kingdom will go to another. God has already chosen him. He is a man that seeks after the heart of God more than the heart of people. David has been given the kingdom. Saul is just borrowing it for a while. If David truly wanted to seize it, he could, just like the spear. The integrity of the throne is another theme explored in this chapter. In this episode, Abishai is like us, wondering why David won't take him out. Some of you may feel similarly and would also encourage David to just kill Saul and take the throne. But David says something interesting that we haven't heard before. Abishai begs David to kill Saul, but he responds saying, His day will come. The Lord is the one who decides who sits on the throne, not I. If I take the throne by force, what does that say about the Lord's favor in my life? It says only that I know how to kill, not how to lead. David wants the throne of Israel to be more like a spoil of war. If he kills Saul to take command, it communicates that the throne goes to the strongest man, not the favored man. David wants God to be who establishes his king, not conquest. David won't kill Saul because if he really is chosen by God to be the king, he will be the king at the right time. Does David's integrity inspire you or annoy you? It should do a little bit of both. The strength of David's character is an inspiration to us while also challenging our hearts to be better. Jesus does this as well. He comforts us and reminds us of his mercy. It is encouraging to know we have a strong and mighty God on our side who loves us and accepts us. However, the character of Christ also challenges us and calls us up to be better and walk with more integrity. We live in a world where people expect you to either be affirming or challenging, but Jesus managed to be both. David managed to be both with Saul. He honored, respected, and praised Saul, but he also called him out on his sin. In this episode, it seemed like David was able to balance truth and love in his hands. Paul says in Ephesians, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every respect into him who is the head, into Christ. David was honest, truthful, and challenging in his speech, but he never once wavered in showing Saul love. Both are required for genuine transformation to occur. At the end of this episode, David secures a little more safety for himself and his men. Saul's men see that David isn't a threat, and it definitely brought the king's motives into question. David has ensured that Saul won't march against him without some sort of mass manipulation. However, David also realizes that he can no longer stay in Israel while Saul is king. So he takes his men out of the land and into the territory of the Philistines. What adventures and events await the giant slayer there? We will find out in our next episode. 
a friend of the enemy. Thanks again for listening. For more inspiring stories, daily prayers, and wisdom to last a lifetime, go to Pray.com. And to expand your Heroes in the Bible journey, download the Heroes of the Faith devotional at TonyEvans.org forward slash heroes. Follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify to get the newest episodes right as they come out and always be inspired by the Bible. God bless.